0: We are going to continue this morning our, our journey through 1 Peter. Uh, we are on session four, and so each week I'll do just a little bit of a review so that you can kind of um, get brought up to where we are in the text in case you missed a week uh, or two prior. But, uh, so we're talking about 1 Peter, one of my favorite letters. We spent the first week uh, really talking about who Peter was. And so Simon Peter is one of the 12 disciples that became one of the most influential uh, members of the early church, leaders in the early church. Peter was, written, um, was writing uh, to a, a church, the New Testament church, that was scattered about the Roman Empire, and they were in the midst of being heavily, uh, very intensely persecuted. Um, Peter was written about in the New Testament more than any of the other followers of Jesus. And uh, we talked on that first week about how Peter's life was marked with times of glory and times of shame. And we gave lots of examples, lots of verses, uh, passages, and stories about Peter's life where he would you know, make a bold proclamation, and Jesus would, would, would comment on that, and it seemed like that was a really good thing. And then not too uh, much later, there would be some kind of something would happen, and, and Jesus would have to rebuke uh, Peter. But we're, we're getting to see this letter written by Peter much later in his life, towards the end of his life. And so we get to, uh, to get to see what, was, what he was like, even though we, we skipped a big portion, it seems, in, in the scripture of his life. We don't see much of his activity uh, you know, for about 20 years, but we get to see through this letter uh, how much Peter had matured and where he was as somebody who was doing what Jesus had asked him to do, feeding the sheep of God. Uh, then, in week two, we did talk about that about the churches and uh, that he was writing to, and how they were persecuted and the pressure that they were, that they were under and We talked about how Peter would have written this book. It appears as if his his main purpose in writing this book was to encourage and strengthen and then of course instruct these believers that that might have been tempted to give up. you know they were under the kind of pressure and that kind of persecution that that we in America just would have a hard time even even fathoming what it would be like to go through what these early believers were going through. And so Peter was writing this letter to these churches to encourage them, instruct them, comfort them. We talked about that in week two. And then last week we saw that Peter, uh, in comforting them, he chose to remind them of the living hope that they have and that we have in Christ Jesus. He wrote about the inheritance, and I hope you were encouraged last week to to see that this in, this inheritance that God uh, has given to us, whenever uh, whenever Christ uh, gave us this living hope, that God is protecting that that hope. There's there's that inheritance. There's nothing and no one that can come and and, and take it away, snatch it away, uh, corrupt it in any kind of way. What what God is holding for us in heaven is secure. And and he was he was challenging them and comforting them by telling them, as we're going to look at today, to put their mind and their focus on that hope don't put your mind and focus on things here put your thing put your mind and your focus on what god has done and what he's promised to do and so we're going to start today in verse 10 so if you have your bible with you you can uh you can look with us we're going to um start out with verses 10 through 12 so i'm going to ask somebody if they will could i have somebody read that for us so this is first peter chapter 1 10 through 12 before you read Let me give you one question. Steve gave me this recommendation. It's really good. I'm going to give you a question that I want you to, as we read it, look for the answer to this question. So as we read these couple verses, 10 through 12, there are two groups that Peter says are very interested in the things that God is doing in our lives. And so pick out those two groups because we're going to talk about both of them uh, after we read the passage. So now go ahead. Sorry, Michael.
1: They were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to live.
0: All right, So, we're going to talk about these two groups, but somebody shout them out. Tell us what two groups do you see in that passage that seem to have a, a very keen interest in what's going on down here? Prophets and angels. Yeah, that blows my mind to think about this, but I want to I talk with, it, with you guys about it. Let's start out first of all by looking uh, at the prophets. So he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So he says, The things that were revealed to them. And my question to you is, what kind of things were revealed to them? to these prophets From all of your Old Testament studies what what things do you remember reading in the Old Testament that they got recorded probably some things that did not get recorded things that were recorded in the Old Testament that were that were that were prophecies about what would happen what are some of the things that you remember reading
2: there's a coming Messiah
0: yeah that the Messiah would come yeah that the that the Messiah would suffer. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes and put in, a, in the slide there of Isaiah 53. But if you go back and read Isaiah 53, I mean, it's amazing to think that, that God, through the Holy Spirit, gave this prophecy to Isaiah to, and, and it was recorded. But listen to what it says. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne out our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, este- we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so these prophets, like Isaiah, these prophets that wrote things like this, and again, possibly things that they that they preached that we didn't we don't get the luxury of reading in the Old Testament. These are the kind of things that were mentioned. But look back at our passage. So it was revealed to them that they were serving. Well, that's uh, uh, concerning the salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be, you're searched and inquired carefully. Um, so there were things that, they, that were revealed to them, but there were also some things that were not revealed to them. What kind of things did the prophets not see, and, we, and did we not uh, get to read about in the Old Testament about those prophecies that they just didn't simply know? What kind of things can you think of? Things that were not revealed to those prophets. Okay, maybe things about the church. What else can you think of? Yeah, yeah. That's what he said in the in the passage. Um, if I go back to the, the big passage, there it says that uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them. Uh, eventually, in verse twelve, we're going to see that, that they were serving not themselves in these things. And so I would say to you that that there were things that that were revealed to these prophets, and they wrote them down, and they understood that something was going to happen, a Messiah was going to come. But the problem is they didn't have all of the details. They didn't know when it would take place. And like Dwayne said, they didn't know who it was going to be. And I was thinking about this as I was studying about how many times in my life, and I would ask you, when is the last time in your life where there was something that was coming up, maybe a decision that needed to be made And you just didn't have all the details. You knew God wanted you to do something, but you didn't have all of the details. You might be faced with a big decision in your life even now. And maybe God has given you some insight that something is going to happen in your life. But many times God just doesn't give us all the details. And I'm curious why. Why do you think it is that God sometimes gives us part of what's going to happen, but maybe not all of what's going to happen? Why is that necessary sometimes? Wants
2: us to trust you. Yeah. if you the details
1: not
0: Yeah. Is it possible if they knew the time and they knew the person that maybe it might change how they walked daily anticipating it? They would might think like we do. Oh that's that's down the road. That's that's years down the road. I can worry about that about that later in life. But God wanted them to walk by faith, just like he wants us to walk by faith. And there are going to be times in our lives, most of the time, when we are walking by faith that we just, we just don't have the details. And, and God calls us to, to go with what we do know, go to the scripture and understand the things that we do know, and then by faith trust him for the things that we don't know. And I would ask you too, what, what reason would God giving these prophets part of of the information, part of the details, but not all the details. Peter is reminding them that the prophets didn't have the whole story. Why might that be an encouragement to the readers of this letter when they're reminded that even these men of God, these prophets of old, didn't have all the details? Why might that be an encouragement to them? They
3: don't have the details
0: about what they're looking for. Yeah. Their future, as we talked about in those first weeks, was very much uncertain. They didn't have the details about how all of that was going to play out in their lives for them and their families. So yeah, I think it would have been a huge encouragement for them to be able to, uh, as persecuted saints, receiving this letter, to read it and be reminded that the men of God in in the past, in the Old Testament, even they didn't have all the details, and yet they were walking with God by faith, just trusting that God was going to do what he said he would do. God said he was going to send these, uh, send a Messiah and th- these things would come to, to be. And God did absolutely everything that he promised he would do.
2: Just because we don't know or see everything does not mean that God is not at work. Yeah. He is at
0: work. Yeah, we might get confused. And
3: we get to look back and go,
0: oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how many times have y'all had those kind of moments in your life where you're like, man, this doesn't make sense, but God, I trust you, and then down the road, you say, man, okay, I get it. And sometimes that just isn't going to be. I mean, we, we're going to see in a second, for these prophets, they just didn't, you know, they didn't even, they didn't get to see it in their lifetime. But it says that they, they inquired about it. They were focused on it. They were very interested in it. And so I would say, how about you, in your life, when you're going through times when you don't know the future, you don't know, maybe it seems crazy to you what you're going through, focus on the promises. Focus on what God has revealed in Scripture. Focus on the, the things that we know and let God take care of the rest. And that's what these prophets did. They, they taught, uh, you know, Peter was teaching them and reminding them that that's how these, these prophets lived. Have You ever had those, those moments of, man, if I just would have known I would have been more if, been, if I would have known this was going to happen, I would have been more, more ready, more prepared. But we don't know the timing. We don't know the timing of how many days we have left on this earth. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so when you're faced in a time where God has given you some of the details, but not all the details, focus on His promises, focus on his word, and trust him. trust him for the rest. keep your land. Yeah, I like that. So they didn't know who the Messiah would be, although they knew a Messiah would come, and they didn't know when he would come. They didn't know how long they were going to have to wait, or even if it would happen in their day. You know, these prophets could have just communicated the truth. God gave them a truth, and they could have just communicated it and said, my job is done. That's kind of what we, uh, we see you know, happened in the life of Job—not our dear Job, but but in the life of of, of Job. Uh, no, I'm sorry, in the life of Jonah, uh, we see. I mean, there there are things we learned in the life of, of Job too. But but in the life of Jonah, he when he finally got to the place where he was going to preach and 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 share the message God gave for him, he kind of wiped his hands clean and kind of had an attitude of "I'm done." But I just I just found it interesting as I was looking at this this week that that these prophets didn't just simply uh, you know throw out the message God had given them uh, that, of things that were going to come in the future and then wipe their hands clean. They inquired. They were interested in the things that would happen. So they were serious about it. If you look you know look back at the verse, I, I love the fact that it says that they uh, you know as as they were uh, looking at the salvation they. The grace that was going to be yours, it says that they, they searched and inquired carefully. I mean, that tells me that this, this was serious to them, that it wasn't just something that they were, they were slightly interested in, but it was something they, they really pursued to understand. And I was thinking about Peter, why would he tell them that? Why would he tell them how serious they were, how carefully they inquired, how serious these prophets were? Why do you think Peter might have, have made that a part of his, of his letter to let them know how serious these prophets were inquiring on these things? Why did he want to remind them of how serious it was in them as they inquired? What do you think he hoped to accomplish by saying that to them?
2: So they would not neglect this great hope.
0: So he wouldn't neglect it. And I was thinking about maybe he wanted them to take it serious too. He hoped his readers would also take these things that he's sharing with them very serious. And I would tell you that I think our enemy is always trying to distract us from taking serious the things God has promised to us and focusing on those promises. You'd have to read ahead, but we'll get there today. But in verse 13, Peter says, preparing your minds for action. And so I would tell you that I, I, i think peter mentioning here how serious these prophets were taking uh they're they're inquiring about these things that were going to happen in part would be to begin to to help them understand how serious they should take him as well and and then in the uh, verse you know verse 13 he's going to tell them to to really take it serious put your mind and focus on these things yeah so then in verse 12 says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you so they were not serving themselves but you and i was just thinking about how the spirit of of christ had revealed to them that it literally wasn't going to happen in their lifetime serving not themselves but those that would come in future generations what an amazing way to view the work of god in our lives what an amazing way to just view every day getting up and serving god and serving each other this reminder that these prophets were not serving themselves but serving future generations maybe it's true of us maybe the things that we're doing and the things that we're working hard at are not just for us but for others, isn't that the way it works? Maybe even others that haven't arrived yet. It just kind of reminded me this week as I was reading this that there are times that in our lives we are just called to, to grind things out. Maybe we're grinding it out not for our benefit, but for the benefit of other people. How many times am I willing to work for something if I can see some kind of an immediate gratification or an immediate reward? We like instant gratification. How willing are we to grind it out and work hard for the benefit of others? And this is exactly what these prophets were doing.
2: Gerald. Yes. something better for us that apart from us they should not be able to be, excuse me, they should not be made perfect in the very shortest of forms, they did all that to prepare the way for us yeah
0: amen, that's a great verse I'm so glad you brought that out kind of reminded me of John the Baptist too, kind of goes along those same lines John gave his life not to be the one, but to point people to the one he prepared the way, gave his life not to receive the benefit immediately while he was alive, but instead to prepare the way so that christ would would come and be uh, you know would fulfill prophecies even in that process, and Christ would come and and be able to uh, accomplish all that God sent him to do. now there are a lot of yep yeah, go ahead, sorry I just think. About these prophets that they would have learned as a child, because they didn't have a new testament, you know, it's being written, and they're just
3: reading these old prophets, and it's like, think about the encouragement that would have been
0: like, you're so special that 4,000 years of prophets have all been building up to you, your yes. salvation that the grace is going to be revealed to you, Amen. and even when we teach our children these prophets aren't boring these <laughs> prophets that are serving us, yeah. so like we should read it in that mindset, not, not. Yeah. Uh, Old Testament, oh, those prophets. <laughs> these are the guys that serve. Yeah. Watch, uh, watch how they serve us. Yeah. You think about when you read Isaiah 53, and how Isaiah, you know, would have, would have realized at least to some degree that I'm writing these things, not for not for now, but for, for later. And then here we are. We get to, to read that and say, oh my goodness, man, all of those years prior, God was preparing and using these men to preach these things, and we get to rejoice that, man, look, God, God told them this was going to happen all those years ago, and we see it now. Yeah, Leif, and then we'll go back to Doug. I
2: think we're tempted to think, well, these guys got shortchanged or, or something, but they were, they were here in the-
0: That's right. Yep. Yeah, Doug?
2: Do you suppose um, their culture was <coughs> one of generational thinking? Um, we're not really that way in Western culture. You know, if we leave an inheritance to our kids, great. yeah, that just doesn't happen here. We're not thinking five, six, twelve generations off. They did. So for mm-hmm. them, to kind of leap point, it, it, it would not be unusual for them to read, write, and think, I don't know what this is. Somewhere down my great 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 great, great, great this comes into play, and it's big and it's good. So yep. Let's write it down. Let's have it. Let's walk through it. Yeah.
0: Amen. Okay. I, mean, I tell you what. Lo- yeah. Good. Real quick. Sorry. I'm
1: just going to say. I mean, just I never thought about it, but the tens of thousands, many people that have come thousands of yep. years ago that have diligently dedicated their lives <coughs> to pass along a message. Yeah. To just give you the message, and to think there's this army of people that have dedicated their life to say, Jared, I wanted to tell you something. Really important. Yeah. Never really thought about it like that. So many have lived and died. And yeah. Lived yeah. And died to uh, give us what we
0: need. Yeah. So these prophets would have been would have been reminding their people, reminding their families, reminding the people of all of these incredible things that were going to happen, though they didn't know when. Completely, they didn't know when it was going to happen. And I was thinking about what we get to do every week. It's not the same all the way, but at the same time, every week when we come together, we get an opportunity to proclaim his death until he comes. We don't know the time either. We don't know the time either. It's been a couple thousand years, and Christians all throughout the the, the last couple thousand years have gathered together, remnants maybe, maybe at times it gets, it's gotten forgotten, but remnants have come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and remind each other that the Lord is going to return and we're here eating this supper, longing for the day when we get to eat it with him and his kingdom, and we're, you know, we're reminding each other of those things, and we, but we don't know the time. And it might be easy for us, we might be tempted to approach the Lord's Supper as if it's, you know, it hadn't happened in the last 2,000 years, it'll probably be not in my lifetime. But here's the thing, the promise that God had, you know, he had revealed to them that it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime, but he hasn't said that to us. So we don't know. What if, this, what if today, this Lord's Supper, it's going to happen to somebody sometime that this will be the last Lord's Supper that gets to be celebrated before he returns back? What if that's this week? Could you imagine if, if we're eating the Lord's Supper and then we're leaving the parking lot and then all sudden, whatever that is going to look like, I don't have all the details of how it's going to play out, but imagine the Lord returning after we eat the last Lord's Supper how exciting that would be, but also how, you know, I know there's no tears in heaven, but what if we just kind of approach the Lord's Supper this week as if it's just this boring thing. It's all about the food. It's about something else. And then we leave here and then the Lord returns and we were like, yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of wasn't, wasn't all there today. I'm just encouraging you. I know we don't know the time. He hasn't given us the same the same revelation that, yeah, y'all are cool, it's not going to happen in your time. It might. And I just, I think that the idea would be in loving his appearing is that every week when we come together for the Lord's Supper, what if we just approached it as God, it might be this week. And I want my mind and my heart and my, my thoughts to be all about you. And when I sit at the table, I want to I be about showing love and caring for my brothers and reminding them that no matter what they're going through in their life, these promises are true putting their, you know, put your hope in him. These things are going to come, come to pass. And those things that you're going through this past week and that you'll go through this week, they're all so, so minor compared to the greatness that we've received in Christ and his inheritance. And so I was just thinking about how for, for 2,000 years, we might be tempted to say, you know what, it's just probably not going to happen in our lifetime. But, but we, we know, we've watched it happen time and time again, where somebody's predicted the date, and all that kind of stuff, and maybe certain you know, smaller groups will get, will get excited and all that kind of stuff. Well, look, we don't, we don't know the date, but I don't think we should be any less excited and anticipating the day that Christ is going to return and make all of these things happen. So if it's boring to you at the Lord's Supper, I've, I've actually had people tell me before when they find out that we, we do the Lord's Supper every week together. I've had people say to me, man, I wouldn't want to do that every week. If I do it every week, I, it, I'm afraid it would just become a routine and and something that it, that I wouldn't consider to be that special. And I just had to tell them, man, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. If the meal is focused on the right person and the right the right thing that's going to happen in the future, you know, if you find that to be boring and uninteresting, man. Let's pray, let's pray now for God to, to stir up in your hearts an anticipation and an excitement, just like these prophets had, and they were excited, inquiring, and it wasn't going to happen to them. We don't know that. I was just thinking about that. Let's move on to verse 13, though, and this, this gets to me uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Well, let's, let's, yeah, verse 13. So he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Uh, well, actually, let me, let me skip back, sorry. One of, my, one of my favorite parts about, uh, about this verse that I don't want to skip in verse 12 at the end. We talked about the prophets, but who else have we not talked about yet? The angels. The angels, it says, things into which the angels want to look. So that idea of, of longing to look or desiring to look, it has the idea of, of stooping down, stooping down. It means that they have a desire to stoop down near something, bend forward so that they can see something more closely. Now, i don't know if this is going to work that well if it doesn't we'll just we'll skip it but man i as i was studying this this week i had this uh this this reminder of this thing that took place um let me exit out of that there we go all right this thing that took place in 2010 and i I'd thought about not playing this and just describing it but the, the problem is uh, there's a lot of people, even though this was an extremely viral video, uh, my guess is there's only a handful of people in here that have, that have seen this. And it just To me, it pictures, like I was thinking about this this, this week about the angels uh, stooping down, but do you, do you, how many of you guys remember um, the, it was a flash mob that went into a food court at a mall and sang the Hallelujah Chorus? Anybody? Okay. Eh. Good number of you. Well, then you're either getting ready to be blessed or you're going to be disappointed because this may not work. Let's just see if it does. It does. I'm going to play uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Watch the reaction of the people in the. They're just normal, eating lunch, no big deal, and then something happens. And watch some of the reactions that you see on the faces. goes on for quite a while, but I think you get the point. Did you see the reaction of the people as they knew something was happening? Something great was in the process of happening, and people just kind of stopped what they were doing and began to, if they were up on the upper level of the mall, they began to stoop and look over. They began to crane their necks around, began to look around to try to find out, what is this? What is going on? They knew something great was happening. Now, this is, you know, a group of people singing at the mall. After they were done, things just kind of went back to normal. At the end of the video, you'll see that. Everybody just kind of went about their business. But I want to tell you that when Peter says things into which the angels long to look, these angels, they are stooping down wanting to look and understand the greatness of of what God has done and is doing in the lives of these people that were created in his image my question to you is you know when you think about these angels and you think about them watching up what what are they looking for what do you think the angels are looking for when they stoop down and trying to understand what's going on what do you think they're looking for Yeah.
3: I bet they were pretty amazed. God would become a man, yeah. and die on the cross. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, They probably didn't have that in their playing cards, right? Why would they be so interested? Think about the difference between the angels and the those created in His image. Why would they be so interested in trying to understand what this is that's going on down here?
2: What is man now so mindful? Mm-hmm.
0: When you think about the angels, yeah, go ahead. They also saw what happened to Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Cool, right? Yeah. They witnessed that. They were probably pretty bewildered by that as well. Like how could you ever leave this great God? But when you think about the angels, one of the things I was considering this week is that an angel can never experience the joy of salvation. And the gratefulness of redemption that takes place. And they long to see us. How are they going to react? How are they going to react this, you know, when, when, when they hear about these great things about God? Are they going to be, I can't wait to see their reaction. What are they looking for? I don't know. But they're looking in at this grace and these things that God is doing. The favor that God is giving to, to those created in His image. And I wonder sometimes, do they, do they look down well, first of all, I would ask, does that seem kind of, is that kind of strange to you to think about angels watching over us? Carter, I was sh- talking to him this morning about this, and he brought out, you know, the, you might be entertaining angels unaware. There's several verses that I just wanted to show you that angels are around. They're doing stuff. Hebrews chapter 1, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? So in some capacity, the angels are a part of, of, of ministering to those of us that are, that are born again, that are inheriting salvation.
3: When well, you think about Mm-hmm. By an angel. Right. That's that's a new covenant thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then of course the fact that you said you could enter, someone could be an angel that would be in your home. And maybe you picked up on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. encouraging to pick up people on the side of the road, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you look at, you know, those interactions, you know, the, the fact that when Jesus came. There was a lot of angelic activity surrounding his birth, and then there's also the night of suffering when he's wrestling with. Am I going to go through with this or not? It says angels came and ministered to
0: him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. They play a role, for sure. Ephesians chapter 3, just another, um, another verse to the intent that. Now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the Church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. so another example Paul writing about the the, the, the principality the the, the the angels those uh, principalities and powers in heavenly places being able to see the manifold wisdom of God being played out and I even thought of first Corinthians eleven you know kind of a a confusing passage in a lot of ways, but I mainly just want to point out in verse 10 when, he, when Paul talked about the, the women ought to have a symbol of authority on her, on her head because of the angels. So somehow the angels play a role. And Paul, writing to Timothy, said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus and the elect angels that you observe these things. So I just ask you, how does it make you feel knowing that angels might be looking in on the church? what thoughts come to your mind about about that do you ever think about that have you ever thought about how what we do here is a testimony to the angels to the principalities i hope that it at least makes you think about man i want to be you know i want to be a testimony to how great god is and the change that he has made in our lives and how much we anticipate. Just being able to communicate to them something that they'll never experience. Only by stooping down can they begin to try to understand what God is doing in our lives. But let's move on to verse 13. I did share this verse with you last week, but somebody read verse 13 for us. Therefore, with minds that
1: are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought. Christ
0: is revealed that coming. Okay. So therefore, y'all know the, kind of the drill with that. You look up to see what, you know, what was stated previously so you can understand what he's about to say. So, so the therefore is telling us to think about all of the, the things previously said about the grace of God and the, the hope that we have in Christ. See, God has given us all of those things that we've talked about over the last couple weeks God has given us all of those things to solidify in us our hope that we have in Jesus. Later in the letter, in chapter 3, I put this down too, because that hope that we have, that we are to set our minds on and, and put our minds and be sober-minded, put in our, 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 our hope fully in Him, He even says in chapter 3, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You might be somebody who is terrified at the thought of you being at work one day and somebody just coming up to you and saying, hey, will you, will you, you, know, will you uh, give me the reason for the hope that you, that you have? And you may say, well, I don't know, what would I share with them? Have you ever thought about that? What would I share with somebody if they ever asked me what's the reason for the hope? Well, I'm hoping that what, what you'll do, or I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to go back and look at what we've talked about over the last couple weeks. That would be a great place for you to start. Maybe, then, maybe if you're ever at work and somebody seems curious about what it is that you have hope in and why you have hope when the world seems to be so chaotic and you're, you're sober-minded and you're walking in a, in, a, in a sane way with joy and hope. You might open up 1 Peter and go straight to chapter 1 and begin to show them all of the things that God has promised to those that are born again. It'd be a great place for you to start. But then he goes on and he says, I want to talk about this idea of preparing your mind. So he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And so that word, I think you guys have heard people talk about this before, but... But in some translations, it says to, to gird up the loins of your, of your mind. Kind of weird imagery for us because we don't dress the way that they dress. But, but the idea is that you know, these, uh, these people in the day that this was written would have had long flowing clothes. And if they were getting ready to take some kind of an action, maybe they were going to take off running or they were going to chase somebody down or run from somebody, maybe they had some kind of hard work to do, they would take their long flowing clothes, pull them up, kind of exposes their legs a little bit so they can move a little more freely. And then they would bind up their, their cloth and get it out of the way so that they could, they could perform whatever the task was. But the idea is that they remove those things that would get in the way. And so when we think about preparing our minds or girding up our loans, the loins of our minds, what we're saying is, to get those things out of the way, bind up and get out of the way those things that would keep you from being able to, to do the things that he's going to tell us to do, to live the way he wants us to live, those things that would interfere in our lives. And he says to be sober-minded, being sober-minded, means being clear-headed. In contrast to that would be somebody who is, who is crazy-headed. You know, if you think about a, you know, kind of the, the idea of being sober versus being, you know, maybe drunk with wine when somebody's not sober. You know, they're not in their right mind. They can't think straight. They're not making decisions that are decisions that are sound decisions that make sense. Sometimes, you know, um, sometimes you might see that if you know somebody that, that um, you know, that gets intoxicated. They're not in their right mind when they're intoxicated. And Peter is saying to be sober minded, have clear headedness about you. In other words, when everything seems chaotic and your mind wants to be in chaos too, let your mind be sober." He says, "Get those things out of the way that would cause interference in our lives and the purposes that God is trying to do in our lives. And he says he says something here about how to do that. What are we to do? Preparing your minds for action. What does he say? that we're to do to get our minds in the place, ready for action. What does it say? To put your mind on. Yeah. Yeah. If you remember last week I, I drew a line, if you were here, and the purpose of that line was to try to explain what, what hope really meant, you know, as, as opposed to faith and how those two played together. But really what he's saying is to put your minds on, on that hope. Keep your mind focused on that, that hope. Let it be before you. Be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. That's how you get your mind purposed and ready. And if you were to go back to verse 7, he tells us the reason why. If you remember why that hope was so important for them to have their mind on that hope and their and their their how their faith was going to be tested. And you remember how if you walk the way God wants us to walk by faith and our hope is on him, there's going to be a time of testing and he says that the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold you remember what he said? He said it's going to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So why do you think it is that Peter, when he's getting ready to move into this time of giving them more instructions, starts the, the, the writing on instructions with this idea of putting your mind in a certain place? Why start with the mind? Why not just throw it out there with, you know, these are the things I want you to, I want you to remember to do. He doesn't do that. He starts with the mind. Why start with the mind? Why do we do what we do? Because our mind decides to do it. Our mind thinks to do it. Peter calls them to think a certain way and starts with their thinking first, because what our mind thinks, that's what we do. All actions start in the in the mind. You remember in Romans chapter twelve, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Yeah. Paul wrote the same kind of wordage. We're going to look at this in a second. Same kind of wordage. If you want to be transformed, if you want your life to uh, to to be what God desires for you to be, it starts in the mind, with your mind being renewed. So continually thinking on and filtering filtering your life through the favor that we have, the grace that we have in Christ, that's what he's getting at. If you can get your mind there, then you will live there. And that's what Peter was saying. Peter was wanting these persecuted Christians to not focus on the trials that they were going through here and now. And so two more questions about this: If you focus on the trial, what happens? If you're going through a trial in your life and you focus on the trial, what would that probably lead to in your life? Discouragement. Yeah. Worry, panic. Yeah. Discouragement. All those. We talked some about some of those things early on: panic, discouragement, fear, sleeplessness. sleeplessness. But if you focus on the hope that you have in Christ when you're going through a trial. What's the difference? What happens? Coming Yeah. Strength, the power to, to walk through that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you
3: think he's talking about the second coming here the revelation of Jesus. Is that the second
0: coming? Well, so they, people debate that, but I, that's what I came to think that, he, that he's talking about, the revelation of Jesus. When he comes back for, you know, for the church. So he's telling you to look at the end game too. He's putting this life in perspective yeah.
3: of the ultimate outcome. Yeah. So that's part of that preparing your life for action is keeping
0: the Yeah. Yeah, when we drew that line we said that the hope that we have, it's a future it's a future event, and he's telling them to to have your mind focused and set on that future event that will take place at the revelation of Jesus. All right, so Peter's now going to move from their minds that are clear, sober-minded, prepared, you know, their minds are focused on the hope, to putting that hope into action. And I want us to look for just a moment. This will be kind of our last section for for today. Let's see how this hope should impact our our, our lives. When our minds are focused on hope, it leads us to pursue (laughs) holiness, and that's what we want to talk about. So we're going to read verses 14 through 16, and as we read it, I want you to think about this. What led these, this is, you have to read between the lines here, but what, read, what led these readers to wrong passions in their past, the wrong way of living in their past? What is it that we see here that, that would be the, the reason for their wrong way of living in their past? Verse 14, somebody read 14, 15, 16 that I have up on the screen here. So he says as obedient children but if somebody was disobedient if you look at this verse what would have caused their their disobedience in their past what does he say ignorance. Yeah the former ignorance they didn't you know there was a, there was something missing in their life a knowledge missing in their life that was that was in their former ways that now as obedient children he's telling them you know that you're not to conduct yourself in that same way Peter's saying they can't use that excuse now because they do know the truth. The truth has come to them. They know Jesus. And all the things that God has done for them, they now know and put their, they're to put their hope in those things. What kind of things are those living in ignorance passionate about? Think about your life before you, know, before you knew all of the incredible things that God has, has done to redeem men to himself. What kind of things were you passionate about back then?
2: Everything that God hated.
0: everything that God hated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Protecting your life with your own. Work. Yeah. Really, life was all about about you, right? You were passionate about whatever made you happy and whatever was a you know whatever you wanted. And I know sometimes in our lives, even as believers, it's possible for us to revert back and be passionate about those things we used to be passionate about. And I think Peter was reminding them, as obedient children, to not be conformed to those passions anymore. Peter is saying no longer be conformed to the old passions. And to be clear, we are talking about being, being passionate about those things. There are times that we involve our ourselves and our lives into things that are not tied to our hope, you know. We may have hobbies or we may have interests that we like to, uh, you know, things that we like to do that are not necessarily kingdom, uh, you know, relevant. But he's talking about passionately pursuing them, making sacrifices along the way to obtain those things. There are things that can get in the way of us being focused on the kingdom. And he's saying don't be conformed anymore to those kind of passions. But he does say to replace those ignorant passions with something very specific. And what does he say? What are you to replace it with? And verse 15. Yeah. He who has called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct. And so my question to you today, and I want to end with Romans chapter, chapter twelve. You know, we talk about this word holiness. The word holiness means to be set apart, to be set apart for the, the things of God, to not be a part of the, you know not be, uh, to be a part of the things here in this world, but instead to be set apart for the, the things of of God. But Romans twelve really is such an amazing passage that gives us insight. And affirms what Peter is telling his readers. And so let's read together. It's up on the screen, Romans chapter 12 and uh, those first couple of verses. Somebody read that out loud for us. Paul is making the same appeal that Peter is is making. To not be conformed to this world, the old passions, the things that you see around you that that are calling for your attention, calling you and, you know, real shiny things that would say, look, come chase after me. But don't be conformed to the ways of this world, the way the world operates and functions. Don't be conformed to that. But he says, instead, be transformed by your mind being renewed. And so that's how we live and prepare our minds and and begin to live this life that God wants us to live. And so Peter is going to go into uh, a a lot of passages, a a lot of verses that we're going to look at in the coming weeks of just what that looks like. What does a holy life, somebody who is pursuing holiness, what does it look like? And so my prayer for us today is that we will have these kind of passions. Why? Because in the end, it brings praise, honor, and glory to Jesus whenever we are, you know, when, when we allow our, when we're, our faith is being tested and we're, we're, we're seeing the genuineness of our faith being lived out, it bringing praise, honor, and glory to him. Another reason, because there are angels looking in. Another reason, because the prophets have gone before us and they've, they've set the stage and paved the way for all of these great things to happen. And so today as we end up, I'm just going to pray that God would give us that kind of passion. God, would you allow us as you're born again, those that you have caused to be born again, would you give us that passion that Peter is pleading for, for the church, the churches that he's writing to, and that Paul pleaded with the churches in Rome. God, that we would be people that pursue holiness because you're holy, that we would pursue a life that is set apart from this world not conformed to this world any longer but minds that are that are renewed and because of that mind being renewed it is causing us to be transformed into your likeness so god thank you for this um, these passages of scripture that we've looked at today thank you for peter and uh, thank you for his love and care for the body of christ I thank you for his shepherd's heart that you gave to him to feed the sheep. And I thank you, God, that today we get to benefit from that. And I pray as we go into the Lord's Supper, God, that it would be a time for us, just like prophets were anticipating and looking for and searching and inquiring, although they were told it wouldn't happen in their lifetime, God, let us have uh, such a, an intense desire As we meet for the Lord's Supper and and use that time to encourage one another, let it be a time, God, where we look with great anticipation, knowing that one day, just as you promised, Lord Jesus, you said you would return to take us where you are. We long for that day to take place, and it could be today. It could be later today. It could be tomorrow. Let us live each day and let us enjoy this Lord's Supper as if this could be our last time to testify to all of the heavenly beings of how great a salvation we have received through Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.
2: This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow him in complete obedience to his word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with him deepened.